In times of chaos and breakdown, where might we turn for guidance? To the myths, the storytellers, the wisdom keepers and the rabble-rousers. To the ones braving the seas of uncertainty, not with answers, but with poetry, beauty, and well-crafted questions. I'm Ian McKenzie, co-founder of the School of Mythopoetics, a place to gather with like-hearted folks to navigate the mysteries together. And this is The Crow's Nest, where I speak with an array of guests who are employing their mythic imagination to engage with the tempest of the times. You're invited to join me live on YouTube each week. Visit schoolofmythopoetics.com slash podcast to learn more. And now, enjoy our conversation. Greetings, friends. I am Ian McKenzie, and welcome to, I believe, the first edition of The Crow's Nest in this year of 2023. And in our conversation today, uh, well, first, I could tell you a little bit, if you're new here, that uh, The Crow's Nest is a live, uh, dynamic conversation with different guests that uh, usually we take a topic, a contemporary topic of the moment, and uh, use that as a jump-off point to reflect on it through a mythopoetic lens. And uh, if you're curious about the guests I've had in the past, you can find them all on YouTube under the School of Mythopoetics, as well as under uh, any of the podcast uh, platforms that you love to listen to, Apple, Spotify, it's all there as well. Look up The Crow's Nest with Ian McKenzie. And now for today, I am delighted to welcome on my guest who uh, we were actually just reflecting upon. We've known each other almost a decade, which is a wild thing to consider. But uh, this particular guest has been on a number of um, uh, collaborations before, whether it's the uh, Gathering of Stories event, which we held over, I think, almost two years ago now, where we looked at the soul of masculinity to the more recent Into the Dark live event that we held just over uh, Samhain, uh, as well as a guest within the School of Mythopoetics. And uh, the guest here is to discuss a brand new course that we're going to launch in the next few weeks uh, called Kiss the Witch. But first, a few words about my guest, Bo Huntress, is an artist and facilitator working with song, myth, and archetypes. As the artist in residence at Union Chapel in London, Bo made a number of immersive shows on subjects like witches, reimagining female power, retelling the Medusa myth, and race relations in the UK. Alongside writing political and mythic music, Bo has facilitated women's groups for the past 10 years and is currently running an online project called 13 Queens which looks at archetypes that correlate with the 13 moons of the year. And so I'm delighted to welcome, welcome on Bo Huntress. <laughs> Thank you, Ian. It's so great to be here. And yeah, how crazy that we've known each other for almost 10 years. That's great. It's, it's been wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's wild to consider that, uh, yeah, we did first meet at the New Story Summit that was held mm -hmm. in Scotland. That year, um, which a number of folks who, I mean, I'm reflecting on, uh, you know, I first met Bio Kamalafe there. Uh, I was already connected with Charles Eisenstein, who was there. Um, I mean, so many others. Um, uh, yeah. Marie Goodwin, I think, uh, like people that I collaborate with now and really became like a nexus point for uh, this kind of, yeah, pollination of folks that were really drawn to the power of story and to try to uncover, be service to. Um, the new story, right? Which, you know, if I recall, the one of the outcomes of that was to recognize that we need many stories, of course, not just one. Mm. 
it was such a great gathering and it really it really did feel like this place where like-minded people came together and were just doing so many wonderful amazing things in the world and yeah it's really rippled out in my life as well and that theme I think of a new story has just stayed with me um and it's certainly what you're doing uh with your work so mm. it's good to see you yeah well and uh, thanks to everyone joining us live as well and if you have any questions along the way this is a pretty lean 30-minute conversation but uh yeah feel free to leave your comments in the chat and uh, questions and if we have time, I can weave them in. But this conversation is meant to focus primarily on a new course offering that we're doing with the School of Mythopoetics, and it's called Kiss the Witch, a mythic journey through the archetypes, through the feminine archetypes for men. And uh, this actually came about, you know, we, we, we talked about this years ago, I think, you know, in the early days when the uh, School of Mythopoetics formerly was known as the Mythic Masculine Network, which is something that grew out of the mythic masculine podcast as folks reached out to me and you know they'd hear an episode or two and say wow you know how do i work with this or who do i connect about this uh so i had created the mythic masculine network and that's when i think we spoke about oh, what if you were able to offer a course uh to primarily two men i mean that was part of the seed of the idea and yeah i wonder if you could share a little bit too around yeah how this how this really you know came about mm. Well, yeah, I've been working with uh, what we're calling the feminine principle for a long time. And it's really just like, I love, I love this work so much. I just absolutely adore working with cycles and working with the feminine. Um, and I'm kind of hesitant when I'm using that term now, because it's starting to feel uh, maybe not the most useful terms, the masculine and feminine. Um, but I guess just acknowledging that we're still inheriting these, this kind of binary way of, of languaging and thinking. Um, and we're really coming out of it now and in really real and tangible ways that's really exciting. And I think offering this course is, is for me, is about just sharing the absolute like jewels um, and juiciness of all of the work that I've been doing and really making that accessible to men in a, in a new way. Um, so yeah, something that I'm really excited about is, is really opening up certain like almost kind of symbols, like something I've been thinking about that we'll be talking about on this course is, is the womb. And, you know, we can think about the womb as a kind of symbol, but it's also a very real place that we've all come through. Um, and, you know, for me, my experience of, of the womb, of having a womb and also working with a cycle is being in this kind of cycle of fullness and emptiness. Um, and I think this is a really pertinent thing for our culture right now. Well, has been for a long time that we, we, we are constantly trying to kind of fill this hole, this void, constantly going to the outside to kind of fill up. And, you know, a lot of the work I do is about like, how do we work with this like very natural rhythm of fullness and emptiness? And this being like something not to be afraid of. Um, and how do we learn how to kind of fill up internally and, and trust that that emptiness is gonna become fullness at some point? Um, yeah, so these are, anyway, I'm just getting straight into it because these <laughs> these are kind of the things I'm really excited about. Um, yeah, this 
listening to I was listening to your interview with Sophie Strand earlier and and at some point she was saying like we need to stop everything you know in our culture we need to stop all of this madness and this consumerism and you know and I think in order to stop everything we need to learn how to actually be full from the inside out mm-hmm. well it's you know it's interesting because my mind goes in a few directions but mm-hmm. you know one thought I have is Okay, I'll start with this because this is a pickup where you spoke just to there, which is, I mean, is it possible to stop everything? And I, you know, I don't mean that in a sense of, um, you know, dominate everything to demand that it stops versus because if I think about coming to stillness, right, if I stop personally, in my sense, I recognize in that stopping that there's a lot of things in motion, right, all Mm -hmm. the time. And I don't mean like busy people, but what I mean is like my body processes, um movement of like wind through the trees you know if i happen to be outside like ants you know doing their thing so i guess i'm i'm hearing and maybe what sophie was saying there if i recall and what maybe you're speaking to is this kind of a stopping of a kind of momentum to tune in to a deeper rhythm of maybe and maybe one could call that the feminine perhaps or Mm -hmm. a manifestation of the feminine but i'd love to just hear a little of you know how that lands for you yeah absolutely i think what I love about working with cycles is that there's a place for everything. So it's not to say that there's anything wrong with all of this movement and action, but there is a kind of time and place for it. And and what I feel like we don't do culturally is we don't do the descent side of the cycle. So we just do this constant ascent, constant growth, and it's exhausting for ourselves and for the planet. And it's not sustainable. And the, the only way that we sustain it is through these kind of toxic means. Um, so yes, you know, there's always going to be motion to some extent, like you say, with the body processes, but can we really learn how to go into that stillness and non-productivity and place of listening, place of receptivity and actually discover how incredibly powerful it is, you know, like something I love about the receptive state is, is that actually when you're in the receptive state, you draw life to you it's it's a very active thing in fact (laughs) um and i like to think about it in terms of like ovum consciousness compared to sperm consciousness you know if you think about this journey that they make to each other that the sperm is like working really hard (laughs) swimming really fast because the fast one (laughs) literally wins um Whereas the ovum, what the what the ovum or the egg is doing is just sitting there um, in this kind of like fullness, drawing to itself the very best of the best um, thing that is wanted. And and so this is a kind of you know metaphor symbol that I work with quite a lot in terms of the receptive state. Um, and actually, yeah, we can we can feel quite negatively about. Like, like that it might be a passivity, but actually what is it to feel so relaxed that you just trust that that um, life is, is coming to you and to not have to be in this grasping, always searching, reaching state. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's part of what I'm excited about. Mm-hmm. Well, it's called Kiss the Witch, which is a, a title that you've, came up with it also I think a title of the song or even the album one of your albums and uh and I'd be curious one so you know why did you call it kiss the witch what does that mean what does that invoke and specifically for men 
and male identified folk. Yeah. Well, we will be looking at four archetypes on the course and they correlate to those that, you know, many of your followers probably know, you know, uh, magician, king, lover, warrior. So we'll be looking at the kind of feminine versions of those four, the witch being one of them. So the witch kind of correlates to the magician or the trickster in in other maps. And but I think in the in terms of the witch being a feminine archetype, she's the one that's been the most repressed and the most kind of punished and um, exiled. And so for me, she's really important. I like they're all important. And there is definitely something about balance and, you know, allowing for all phases and faces. But the witch, I think, holds a particularly powerful um, energy to reclaim. And I think that that's important for for everyone, you know, regardless of gender, to to really be reclaiming this archetype. Um, I think she holds a lot for us in these times, particularly this kind of forbidden energy, this seer, um, you know, and the one who can see, like can see fully. And it's really terrifying for us to be seen. Um, and we really long for it as well. And so I think there's there's something of, of both of those things of, of really um, trying to come to terms with letting ourselves be seen fully and seeing ourselves fully like getting really honest getting really kind of honest with our reality getting right with reality um and there's something really important about kind of apprenticing to that ability to see so in these times i think it's important for us to really see and discern what's happening and what needs to happen so the witch archetype is very connected to intuition um so this is something that I think we all just really need to be harnessing right now. And when you say which in this context, do you mean uh, also interchangeably with the crone or is that uh, like an elder witch in this formulation? Yeah, I mean, if you're working with the four, then I think the witch probably covers the crone, the wise woman, the guide, the shaman, um, all of those aspects. So there's a lot in there and, and which is just the term that I choose to use because it feels like something that comes from my own culture, you know, in in Europe, witches were a real thing that were really persecuted. So I feel more comfortable <clears throat> using that term than shaman, which I don't necessarily feel like I have, you know, a, a direct lineage to, to, to shaman culture. Um, it has yeah. a lot of baggage attached today as well in terms of appropriation and misuse exactly. and yeah. all that stuff too. Yeah, yeah, but prone, absolutely. It's it's that part of life where you've sort of you sort of have become your power. And you know, we talk about that in terms of the cycle, the menstrual cycle, that you know, when you start your menses, when you start bleeding as a young woman, you are initiated into your power and then you are just practicing your power you're going around and around and around these cycles practicing your power and then when you become into the crone phase when you have your menopause you just become your power it's like you are the embodiment of everything that you've lived and learned um so yeah again just a very powerful archetype for us all to embody and you know i'm using the menstrual cycle there because 
that's what I have worked with for so long. But I actually think a part of what we're going to do on this course is looking at cycles for men. And, you know, mm. we're going to track your own cycles um, here and we will kind of associate that with the moon. So we're going to be together for at least a moon cycle. So we'll be tracking tracking what that is like. Um, and women often have you know, these very visible signs of their cycle. And I think for men, it's going to be a much more subtle, but probably a really deep and valuable thing mm. to allow yourselves to have. That's an interesting thought. I have heard that, uh, you know, somewhere along the way that, oh yeah, men have cycles too, but uh, I've never really undertuned or understood what does that mean or how might the, the rhythm be. So, I mean, that's certainly intriguing. Um, mm. And I'm imagining again, like you, that was actually really helpful when you um, uh, compared or posited this relationship between king, warrior, magician, lover as the main masculine archetypes that have least coalesced largely because of, uh, you know, a major book that was released um, in the early 90s by Douglas Gillette and Robert Moore. It's a very common book that is given out, yes. you know, to, through men's work and men's groups, particularly in the mythopoetic uh, realm, which is the name given to that kind of you know archetypal Jungian inspired work but for you to posit then that these archetypes you're speaking to for the feminine as a kind of correlate uh or, or mirror that is like that's exciting to me um to think about that okay that, that's helpful now then my question is then so why is that useful for men i mean i might surmise mm -hmm. that but so because somebody might say well well that's cool so i'll at least understand women more and which may be part of it Right. But I, I hear in, in some of the write up, you know, you've shared that. But actually, there's a, a, a value of that for a man's own internal experience and relationship to these yeah. archetypes. So one, I wonder, how do you hold that map, right, that that internal external map of maybe broadly this idea of approaching or having relationship to the feminine or one's inner feminine and outer feminine? Because yeah. men's uh, sort of you know, the general uh, response to a kind of toxic masculinity, uh, you know, whether in this generation or even the previous one was men have to be more in touch with their feminine. Right. And then the critiques of that have been like, well, that means they have to surrender their masculinity. Right. And all of a sudden they become like a blubbery emotional mess. And, you know, feminists win. Like, I mean, that's the kind of alt-right resistance to that kind of stuff. Right. So yeah. I'm just curious, how do you hold then the value for men to do this work uh, that would directly benefit them and, and perhaps the people around them. Yeah, great question. Yeah, it's absolutely not about surrendering the masculine at all. I think my understanding of it is about our relationship. So it's um, kind of extending one's range, like being in relationship to your masculine archetypes, your masculinity in ways that are kind of mature perhaps I think that's the way that we're always kind of trying to head towards um and then coming into relationship with the feminine archetypes is just to acknowledge that that lives within everyone too you know and I actually think that there's more than masculine and feminine it's not just that we have these two I think there's also a, a place uh, a sort of third place or a place of of neither or both, which is also really intriguing to explore. Um, but there is something about 
the way that we can in in this kind of heteronormative society, the way that we can be quite bound by um, if you are a straight person, like looking for someone of the opposite sex to kind of fulfill you or complete you. And actually it's only really, I think, when we can really come into relationship with that within ourselves that we can kind of free up everybody else from having to be anything for us. And a lot of the kind of early stuff, mythical stuff around masculine and feminine was, you know, the feminine would often hold this role of being like destiny, kind of being origin and destiny. And and so women kind of became this, the kind of goal or the the wise woman or the helper along the way and the thing that you're working towards. And within that, she kind of becomes not <laughs> an entity in herself. And I think this has really played out in society that women have been objectified have been this kind of object and something that exists for man um in a heteronormative paradigm and and actually obviously now all of these waves of feminism have taken us beyond that where we can now acknowledge that woman has a life of her own she exists for herself um she doesn't exist for you and and yet there is there is still this need to kind of get to know her in that different way um which is yeah that she's she's not the object she is an energy that is got something for you and yeah that's not something to seek from another person so i think it really just frees us from the way that we so often are in relationships of any kind where we need somebody to be something for us um, and so for me, this, this work like frees us from having to make somebody else exist for us mm. in whatever direction. Well, this makes me think of, of course, the, the kind of classic representation that Jung posited the anima and animus, right? This whole idea yeah. of the, essentially what I interpret as the, you turn, let's say if a man is speaking to looking to a woman can turn her into the projection of their own inability to relate to their own yes. feminine aspects um right and so that of course causes a lot of problems because then this other becomes fix fixation on maybe like a longing for wholeness perhaps or like a longing for integration but that isn't you know it's not made conscious mm -hmm. and i hear in what you're saying that the opportunity to come to a, a degree of wholeness where this to me also mirrors the kind of overall, I would say, um, map or, or commentary that seems to go on around this idea of that everyone has masculine and feminine, you know, within them. And that if we can build relationship to all these elements, then we can come to a place of a degree of wholeness to then relate to each other as whole beings, yeah. right? As opposed to sort of unconsciously turning each other into, you know, the, the unmet uh, projections, you know, figures uh, or aspects that we want to integrate within each other. Um, so that's like a, a I, I find that is very helpful as a sense of why this is important. Uh, yeah. Because then when you can relate to others from, I think, from that place of more integration, then you're able to actually respond, I think, to what's what's truly there, right? Rather than the kind of 
you know, the unconscious stories or the, I don't know, somatic anxieties or, you know, all these ways in which this kind of a, often attachment stuff shows up, you know, in relationship, not just intimately. But um, so that's kind of what I see. Yeah. And I'd love to if you could maybe share a bit more on that. Yeah, it reminds me of the podcast that we did uh, on the Mythic Masculine, you and I, when I was telling the story of my own uh, journey with my inner masculine and Mm. the sense that when I began that journey, my inner masculine was very young and I was having all these dreams about a little boy and there was something about my inner masculine kind of growing up um, through my relating with it, him. And so a a similar thing, this is a similar thing that I want to provide here with this course is actually, you know, maybe your inner feminine is quite young. And what is that journey between a kind of young feminine and a mature feminine? And like you said, if we, if we can kind of start to relate to our feminine and allow her to kind of really mature, then this will probably change the ways that we are in relationships and and the ways that we relate um to women and maybe the kinds of women that you attract or interact with um might change Mm. and i think this is a really fascinating idea this idea of maturing the inner states and when i think about the immature feminine or the young feminine you know in my mind she's a very kind of um she just wants to merge. So, Mm. you know, we can talk about the feminine principle as being very relational. So there's a sense of communion of wanting to commune with life is beautiful. And, And I think in its most immature form, that is just emerging. It's like there's no self, there's no center, there's just this kind of merge. And that can be very scary, very overwhelming. Um, and the other thing about it is it can be easy to then collapse into feeling states you know so being very emotional and being very connected to feeling which is a beautiful part of the feminine can become this like just overwhelming collapse into feeling that is just completely terrifying to navigate or difficult to navigate so i think that can often be a reason why um people who don't have much relationship with inner feminine can feel a bit scared either of other people's expression of emotion or afraid of their own like huge collapse that's there if if they go there it's just like oh I'm just gonna fall apart so there's something about well how do we let the inner feminine um start to learn how to kind of uh grow some muscles with with her feeling state and her ability to go into communion and not be in this merge collapse state it reminds me of a, a line in it was Robert Johnson's book, uh, He, which is all about masculine psychology, yes. mythic mas- uh, psychology. And yeah, and there's a bit of where he says something like, "If a if a man is is in feeling or emotion, I think it is, then then you know, there's like a it truly is a presence of that. Uh, you're connected to it, right? You're connected to that emotion. And then I got the impression that he's saying, and then it passes, right? But if there's a an ongoing kind of locked in tone right or or mood i think that's what he calls it he says that's when you've been seduced by your inner feminine uh into a mood which can last you know days off i mean i'm super guilty of that uh and i think maybe men men can relate in there when they're like they just get in these you know and a a woman who is connected perhaps to that ability to really move that energy could might feel 
you know, a, 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 an expression of, and it can be maybe chaotic, but then it feel, then it moves and it's gone. Whereas, you know, a man can be in it for like a week. It can be stuck in a mood and maybe not know how to get out of it, right? Yes. To be like, why am I just like this? So that idea of being seduced by the inner feminine was like a really interesting idea to me um, that mm -hmm. he put forward in that book. And anyway, I was, uh, it was ringing for that for me. Yeah, I love it. I love it. So something about learning how to navigate that territory, how to navigate the territory of feelings. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, that's it's, it's a real skill, you know, and I think it does take practice and... I'm pretty practiced at it because I've been doing it all my life. But, you know, I think for people who have kind of uh, made their range smaller, you know, so are, are not feeling so much, you know, it's just the bandwidth comes together, doesn't it? So if you cut off kind of pain states, you're also cutting off the other end of like pleasure or ecstasy states. And so something about just expanding that range and being able to yeah really embrace feeling states but but that does take a bit of uh, navigation and practice and yeah so some of those tools you know i'd like to be sharing and exploring it's interesting too, too right if i make a comparison to say any other physical skill right like uh rock climbing or boxing or you know something like that i bet you most men typical men might be like yeah of course you got to train you know you've got to you got to be in the gym you got to work at it and then if i said well okay but the emotional training is also a thing, right? They'd be like, what? A lot of them might say that, right? I mean, I probably would have uh, maybe still are wondering, like, how do you train for emotions? Um, and so, again, that's an intriguing thought to consider. Um, now, we just have a few more minutes here. And I wonder, could you sketch out a little for folks how you see the structure of the calls going? Yeah, absolutely. So we're going to start with kind of just looking a bit at what is the feminine um, and the first session will be about this idea of kind of courting your inner feminine. And, you know, that sense of courting is kind of got a bit of romancing to it, but also knowing that this isn't really about romance. This is, this is actually about relating. And, but I love that term of courting because there is something about kind of um, drawing in and making yourself available to, um, yeah, to this energy. And then in the second week, we're going to look at cycles and cyclical ways of being, which for me is just a really foundational piece. Um, and then we're going to go into the archetypes. So we're going to look at the ascendant archetypes first. So that would be what I'm calling huntress and queen. So in the in the masculine map, that would be warrior and king. Um, and then the following session, we're going to look at the witch and the beloved which would be the magician and the lover in the masculine map. Um, so yeah, just tracking that full cycle. And then we're going to be looking at kind of individuation and maturation. So some of what we've been talking about tonight in terms of, you know, there's also this huge piece around individuating from our mothers um, and yeah, from, from women in general and, and doing this, Thing that we're talking about which is really turning towards your inner life and not projecting it all out there um which can be incredibly freeing you know so that's the aim yeah okay amazing and it all begins on 13th of february mm -hmm. yeah and it's going to be at 8 p.m uh, in my time uk so yeah yeah, and if so folks are interested, yeah, please check out schoolmythopoetics.com, Kiss the Witch, 
to find out all further info and uh, consider signing up. Uh, if you know others in your life, if you're a woman watching this, you're like, oh my God, I need my man to, want to attend this or I have friends that should definitely attend this. Please send it to them. I think it's going to be a pretty unique uh, offering as this is also the first time you've, uh, you know, you've crafted this container, I believe, for men as well. So I think it's going to be really special and uh, a real value. Mm, thank you. Yeah. Okay. Well, to be continued. Thanks, Bo. Appreciate it. Thanks to all of you who've tuned in live and uh, who will listen to this in the times to come. Thank you. Ciao. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Crow's Nest. Please consider writing a review on Apple Podcasts and sharing this episode with your friends. To learn more about the School of Mythopoetics and attend our upcoming events, visit schoolofmythopoetics.com. Mm-hmm.